Kia ora and welcome to my daily podcast. I'm Bernard Hickey from the Kaka. This is a podcast, an email newsletter for paying subscribers about Aotearoa's political economy. I focus on housing, climate and poverty reduction. One area that I try to keep an eye on is what's happening with our migration levels, uh, rates and types of migration. Uh, I've described Aotearoa in the past as the Dubai of the South Pacific. There has been a long history over the last 20 years or so of various ways to abuse temporary migrant workers. One of the main problems we have is that most people coming here on a temporary work visa uh, are tied to the employer who has sponsored the migrant on the temporary work visa. Despite various calls by um, migrant advocates to make the work visa open, that tie between the employer and the employee through the visa um, by necessity uh, adds to the power of the employer in that relationship. And over the years uh, that relationship has led to abuse to the point where a couple of years ago uh, the government reviewed its migration system and came up with a, a new type of visa called the accredited employer work visa. Now this was designed to mean that every employer was accredited as a good one and the idea was that you didn't get the big tick until you had proved yourself to be a good one. And then you could bring in as many people as you liked, as long as you could prove that you couldn't find anyone locally to do that job. Now, part of the issue here, of course, is that over the years, the um, economy has gotten quite used to very, very high levels of migrant labour. The highest levels of temporary migrant labour in the developed world. And uh, that has helped keep wage inflation under control. Uh, And you can see that in the way that when wage inflation looked to be picking up quite dramatically last year, uh, when we'd had two years of no temporary migrant migrant workers coming in, the government flicked the switch Uh, turned on the accredited employer work visa scheme and uh, essentially had open slather. So people were awarded these um, big ticks without much checking at all. And perhaps surprise, surprise, many have gone out and brought in enormous numbers, over 70,000 people on this particular type of visa. Now we've discovered that in many cases... People obtain these visas by buying them from agents who were fraudulently saying there were jobs for them in New Zealand. They would arrive in New Zealand with the visa. Remember, these are three to five year visas. And either were given a short term job and then sacked or there was no job at all. It was reported last night via Nick Truebridge at NewsHub that there was a case that is now being investigated uh, um, by the police 
in which 40 people from India were living in one three-bedroom house and were all in this situation. Uh, other reports from Lushijia at, uh, um, at RNZ and also from Stuff uh, show that there are many cases of people paying up to $30,000 for one of these visas. The grand hope, of course, is to come here uh, to become so essential that their employer writes a letter to Immigration New Zealand to say that this person cannot be replaced by a local. They are so skilled that they need a residence visa. And once you have a residence visa, then you're able to buy property, bring in family, and uh, have all the rights of a New Zealander, including access to our health, education, and superannuation systems. And of course, for a lot of people, then access as New Zealand residents to jump the Tasman to be Australian residents. The reason I'm talking about this, A, there's this report out from Nick Truebridge, which isn't particularly unique, but is quite vivid, and follows on from various reports like this in recent weeks. There are now calls by migrant advocates for the suspension or the, or the um, cancellation of these visas, and uh, also calls, of course, to uh, make the visas open, so not tied to the employer, and to have amnesties for overstayers. I've been told, and I haven't been able to document this for obvious reasons, but there are close to 15,000 uh, people uh, living in Auckland who are overstayers, who have come here from India and China in particular. And uh, this is creating awful situations where people are often in debt, homeless, uh, working in prostitution, in all sorts of jobs where they are on the margins of society and is easily able to be abused. This is us now. And you may ask, why are we doing this? This doesn't seem like us. Uh, why are we persisting in doing this? Well, we've built an economic model that's based on it. And you may say, well, hang on a minute, we don't have plantations with sugar, or uh, we don't have tobacco plantations that require very low cost or uh, slave labour. Uh, what is it about New Zealand that means we, in theory, have to have these people? Well, it's worth stepping back and working out how it is that most people get wealthy in New Zealand and what are the conditions necessary to make that wealth. Firstly, you need to own land. And secondly, you need to leverage it up. So that means you need to borrow money from a bank to buy the land and then to take advantage of the tax-free capital gains to buy more land. And then you have to be sure that the value of the land will keep rising and that you can maintain enough cash flow to service the mortgage on that land. And if there's a house on it, that's convenient. And so what you need is plenty of people to rent off you. You need restrictions on infrastructure investment so that there isn't too much land that is available for housing coming onto the market and therefore competing down the value of your land. And you need plenty of cash flow, maybe from your small business, maybe from rent, and maybe from your job. Now, there's a couple of ways you can increase cash flow from rent and from 
your small business or from your job. Firstly, you can improve the disposable income you get from your real job. So that means making sure you get tax cuts. Turns out that's quite convenient because if you push through tax cuts and keep the size of the government down, it makes it very difficult for the government to invest in infrastructure to provide the land available to compete land prices lower. And then also uh, by uh, ensuring you get tax cuts, um, that gives you more disposable income to service more debt. Secondly, if you are running a small business, it might be you know, hospitality business, it might be something in retail, it might be a farm, some business that requires plenty of cash flow, what you need of course is plenty of uh, sales and very low costs. But you don't really want to invest your spare cash in uh, um, machines or technology or systems or training to improve the productivity of those workers. But you still need more and more cash. So the way to do that is just to add more and more workers, keep the cost low and bank the cash. Or more importantly, use the cash to service more debt on residential land. Now that works fantastically. Uh, the value of that land in New Zealand now is $1 trillion, more than double what it was 20 years ago. So that's $500 billion worth of tax-free gains. And of course that was leveraged, so the returns on investment are vastly higher than anything you'd ever get in any other type of investment class, and with much lower risk, because the returns always go up and uh, are very uh, not volatile. And when I say always go up, you, must, you might say, well, hang on a minute, they didn't go up in the last two or three years, and that's true, um, uh, particularly uh, house values, not necessarily land values, particularly unadorned land values, have gone down from their highs, but not back to where they were pre-COVID, and in fact, in many cases, are now bouncing. We've got fresh numbers through from REINZ today, showing that across most cities now prices are rising again and for many who are hopeful that a change of government will um, improve the profitability of being a rental property investor by uh, reintroducing interest as a taxable expense reducing the bright line test from 10 years back to two years and of course reducing investment in new housing to avoid uh, competing down either rents or land prices, then the prospects of yet more tax-free capital gains looks pretty strong. So um, that's part of the model, you bring lots of people in. Now um, when you have such high housing costs, particularly rent and uh, land costs, uh, this makes it very difficult for people who don't own land or don't have parents that own land to actually get into the market. And this is where we have a generation now of renting residents, particularly young ones, who realise that um, to save enough money after they've paid their rent uh, is going to take decades before they can save a deposit on their own, under their own steam and get into the housing market and get on the ladder, as they say. So for many people, the most obvious choice has been to move to Australia, either temporarily to save money for a deposit, or now that New Zealanders can live there permanently and uh, have children and be confident that those kids will not be locked out of school or 
or um, or that the as a worker you'll miss out on rights to uh, health care or um, uh, income protection, ACC style uh, services, then um, for a lot of New Zealanders that makes it much more attractive to go. And that is indeed what we have seen over the last year. So elsewhere in the email we've got more news on migration. Net migration in the year ended June 2023 was 86,800, back up near the record high net migration levels just before COVID happened. In fact, um, the the net migration gain of non-New Zealand citizens of 121,600 uh, easily beat the record of 80,400 for non-New Zealand citizens set in the year to March 2020. So 50% above it. Now, when you talk about net migration, there's a couple of things going on. Obviously, you've got people coming in, some of whom are New Zealand citizens returning, and you've got non-New Zealand citizens coming in. So to get that net migration figure of 86,800, we've got non-New Zealand citizens of 121,600, offset by net migration of New Zealand citizens of 34,800. So we're talking here about 3,000 net New Zealanders leaving every month. And when you look closer at that, what you can see that there were actually nearly twice that number of New Zealand citizens who left, 61,200. And uh, there was, on the other side, New Zealand citizens coming back of 26,300. Interestingly, uh, that net migration of non-New Zealand citizens, 121,600, actually disguises a much bigger number of pure arrivals of non-New Zealand citizens, 168,900, partly offset by migration of non-New Zealand citizens who are migrants. So these are people here who are temporary migrants who are leaving before or at the time of their the end of their visa. Or they may well be residents, uh, but who are not citizens who are leaving now that they have New Zealand residency status and can live in Australia as well. And we know that more than half of the people who are leaving are going to Australia and that the vast bulk of those are people who are in their, uh, in their 20s and 30s who are looking for a, a new life to start. So we've built this churn and burn economy where we keep pushing people out who are looking for a future with their own homes and who now can go to Australia without too much trouble and, and be sure of a long-term future. And we keep replacing them with more and more and more people on uh, low-skilled, low-paid visas and in many cases abusing them. This is where we are. We've built ourselves an economy, a churn and burn economy. An economy with a housing market without much tact on, in which it, we keep it going by feeding more migrant abuse and tax-free capital gains into the system. And we churn out and push away those kids who grow up but know they have no chance of owning their own homes because their parents don't own homes and they go away. Now that's all doable and sustainable as long as you have more and more and more people coming from the rest of the world. And that is possible. 
because there's an awful lot of people in the rest of the world. And if you're coming from India or the Philippines or China or South Africa, New Zealand's a pretty attractive place. Or, more importantly, Australia is after you've got your residency in New Zealand. And so we now have a very high churn rate. Now, anyone running a business uh, knows that's a bad thing, uh, but for New Zealand it's possible because of the way that the political economy works, where the focus is on median investors, many of whom are in this small business, landowning, employing group, where the system works perfectly fine for them. I'm Bernard Hickey. That was today's podcast from the Kaka. Kakite anō.